and we are live hi guys welcome to an episode of the next person podcast i'm your host david and yes i didn't do a second episode last week i am very sorry for that because um for some odd reason i don't know i just really needed a break and i you know i apologize for not um messing up to what i should um what i promised to always do every week so i'm really sorry for that um it wasn't a good weekend for me um for sports rather <laughs> i wasn't worried about that. i mean as a sportsman it wasn't a good weekend i mean i should have been enjoying the um the tears of arsenal fans but um sadly um sports um, got a proper beating they, they taught a proper lesson in the hands of leicester for the weekend um a lot of things to talk about in that game i mean not just even losing i mean it's, it's one thing to lose but to lose bent and core in the process you know i think that sort of changes you know the the hopes fans may have for for the season you know that being said, we'll talk about that in today's episode. Talk about the other games and the title race is heating up. Well, Man City got a win and they are three points behind Arsenal, which sets up the midweek fixture um, to be a cracker, you know. So it's hard for that to listen to this episode. Okay, we start our weekend um, with Chelsea. Um, Chelsea travelled to West Ham. It's a London derby, as you all know. Um, just one, so one interesting incident happened before the game. And it's very funny because I've always I always thought that, you know, whenever I remember Chelsea West Ham, I'd be like, I don't think this is a prop. I don't, I don't really see the animosity between both sets of fans, you know. It's not like I, I mean like hates per se, but it's not like I mean they should be fighting all the time. Okay, uh, okay let's put it this way. Compare that to the fans of the North London Derby, right? The fans of, you know... So whenever, when I looked at Chelsea versus West Ham, I never really saw it as that because I never really got that vibe about this derby. It's very obvious. Aside from being quite one-sided, you know, aside being very one-sided, you know, West Ham fans, they're more of... Um, they're more of like they're their hate to West Spurs. So it's like Spurs are the most hated team in London, right? So the most hated, hated by Chelsea fans, hated by Arsenal fans, hated by um, West Ham fans, right? So... You know, I don't really know much about the hatred coming from Watford, Brentford, Crystal Palace, Fulham, you know, all these other teams. I don't really know much about that, but I'm very sure about this, <laughs> that one, right? So, okay, probably one of the most hated teams, right? That's the way to put it. Even Millwall, I don't know Millwall or Dagen, or those kind of teams. But yeah, but that being said, um, Chelsea's problems continue. Um, so one, was it ended in a 1-1 draw, Joe Felix scoring, and then Emerson Palmieri, which is Chelsea's former left-back. I'm scoring the equalizer but what i want to talk about is you know chelsea fans um having a lot of complaints about potter you know i think i'll probably i'm probably gonna sound like a broken record now because like every almost every episode i always talk about this with chelsea i i don't think it was a good appointment right i'm sorry it's not been a good appointment however it's not been a good appointment obviously i could be wrong could be right but so far i haven't seen anything that has told me that but aside from a good appointment what has made it a little more difficult for potter is the fact that Chelsea have actually thrown money at the situation. So the, the time and the the process, you know, Potter was given at um, a team like Brighton, he's not gonna get that at Chelsea. I mean look, the pressure is on already. I remember many times when Brighton were going winless or go games without win without winning. But it was never really under much pressure from the media. People were like, oh the XGs. I mean the football hipsters were on Twitter saying, oh the XG, the XG, oh the XG, da da da. Okay? Okay, when are we gonna see the the goals? And that was the thing you just never saw. You see, they will end the game with maybe XG of like two, and then the opponent will have like one point something, and then the opponent will win like two nil, or they will draw. You know, it will be a one one, or it will be a draw, a goalless draw. 
you know because that kind of that was what it all was always like with the with the fixture but you know going through this game i i i i would really say i expected i didn't really expect chelsea to win i won't lie i wouldn't i didn't expect Chelsea to win it's just it's just like that there's just so much going on at chelsea if, if it's the fact that there's too much at the same time if that's the right place because the right way to put it because i said graham potter needed as i said that at brighton he had that time that patience you know at his former club and him not getting that at chelsea chelsea they've brought in so much at once you know at brighton he would have maybe he would have a certain players amount of players at this time they work they work and they build they build they build they get to this level they build to this level and then they they improve on that this is that kind of slow process are Chelsea ready for that? I do not really know. I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, look at someone like Louis Enrique, for example, right? I think Enrique already had like experience at another team. I think Villarreal, if I'm not mistaken, or one of that club, or that was um, another manager. I can't remember. I think that was Ververde. But I think Enrique already had experience at another club, so they already had experience. And aside the experience, his tracker was quite okay. And then Ververde, Villarreal, I think I used to see them a lot. This would be a team that used to really give threat. I don't know if they were maybe. I don't know. These kind of opponents are more of hit and miss. I don't really think I, I can really put it like that. I think they're more of hit and miss. But I'm very well aware of Brighton's um, Potter's um, record at Brighton, and it just wasn't very, 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 very impressive. It was okay, but just you know, wasn't there. But I think most teams again, most most fans saw Brighton only when they played against their own team, and most fans in the Big Six team assume that oh, if they play well against us and they like this, means that if you give him better players. He will do better, and that's so he has better players now. But I don't really, I don't really think it's about that. I think it's the fact that this is my own. This is just me thinking. I'm just saying that I think that the reason why the struggles are really at the way they are is because you know there's too much at the same time. The added pressure is this the amount of players they sign at once is not going to help him to really calm down and try and find his way. You know, try things, test things, and try and form his. I mean, he doesn't even know his best eleven already i mean how many changes have made they've made like 28 changes already if i'm not mistaken i mean the back four is becoming becoming a little bit more settled but the midfield the front three is just all over the place i mean today they will start zh tomorrow they'll start madrick today they will start uh Modric. tomorrow they'll start um, somebody else you know it's just all over the place you know like that and then they will start harvard and even and i won't, and even starting harvard over the weekend obviously harvard wasn't very good also right so there's so much going on at the same time. And also quickly about Harvard. I want to talk about something about Harvard quickly, right? With Kai Harvard, I think as far back as 20, 2020, when all this hype around him was there and all that random spending money, I watched Harvard, right? And I and uh, the ultimate barometer for players who are like Harvard, like the ultimate, the, the real one, the, the, the well, I say the originator, if, if that's the right way to put it. I, I hope I'm not obviously there was somebody else who must have done it first before them. But talking about somebody that we probably know that probably had to make that role his own is Thomas Muller, Ram Data, Space Interpreter. That kind of player, where that kind of player that you just when you look at the player, you think he's not strong enough to play up front, he's not fast enough to play on the wings, he's not, um, he's not creative enough to play as an attacking midfielder. However, he can. You know, but he just knows how to interpret space. He knows how to read the game very well. Plays off the plays off a striker. Most of them play off a striker. So they're more of like second strikers, that's the way to put it. They're more like second strikers. So when you think of players like that, you think of Müller, Dele Ali, Prime Dele, Dele Ali at sports that time when and that's one of the reasons why I think his form fell off a cliff, you know. The whole conditions needed for him to flourish were no longer there. 
And that's the thing. So players like this need conditions to flourish. Now with Thomas Miller, Miller was quite smart in staying where he was quite comfortable and not really, you know, moving. I think if I think it was time when Miller was linked to Manchester United, and I, I don't really know that that move looked like the way the way things are looking like. I do not really know if that move would have actually ended well because they needed a striker to play. And he always played off a striker. He played off Mario Gomez um, at Bayern. He would play off um, Lewandowski until Lewandowski joined at Bayern. He would play off for the national team. Play off Miroslav Klose, right? So it's. That kind of thing. Now, at Bayern Munich, I've seen him play on the right before. I've seen him play behind. But Miller, what he was able to do was work on other aspects of his game to ensure that he, even as Bayern evolved, he was still relevant. He was still able to get into the team and still play and do his thing. Now, with, now with Miller and Havertz, now Havertz obviously will need that kind of conditions available. But Chelsea do not have those kind of conditions. Chelsea do not have somebody up front. They don't have a striker up front that, okay, Havertz can play off. I think Obama Young was there, but Obama Young isn't really that kind of person, that kind of striker. He more of like plays on the shoulder of the last defender. He likes to play on the shoulder of the last defender. He likes to, and that's why he could play on, could drift into the left and drift inside. That, that's the kind of person Obama Young is. not really that kind of guy. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe they need something like But it's quite so. But even if that's the case, Havertz, I, I don't really watch him a lot at Bell, if I could do. But his profile sort of gave up that vibe of you know space and that that kind of player and Chelsea do not have that in mind and playing him up front clearly is not going to work it's similar to what sports do when you play Dele Alli up front they tried to revive Dele Alli they played Dele Alli up front didn't work so now Chelsea have an expensive problem on their hands which is Havertz I think about 70 million pounds or so so it's not working they might have to try for Fana I do not know if they will but they might have to try for Fana and Kuku is coming in the summer now I was, I was pretty just talking about how they've rebuilt their entire team in such a short space of time However, you know, that's a very good thing, but it's still not a guarantee that it's gonna gonna be like a hit straight up because you know they still have to gel and there's so much there's so much pressure on on them at the same time with the, so much pressure on them at the same time and then waiting for them to gel, that kind of patience is not gonna be afforded to them by most fans in the Premier League. But yeah, um overall I think for the new for a neutral the game was quite good. I think in the first half it was for Chelsea scored their first goal, Felix were taking. It was very Chelsea sided, and then it was the other, and then you know it was just here and there. And then uh, Modric, well, still is playing, playing, still playing, still playing very poorly. I mean, yeah, it's just it's you know. But that's the end of that. My thoughts on that particular game. Um, I hope Potter stays. I mean, for reasons of, of obvious reasons, I hope Potter stays. Uh, <laughs> every weekend, Chelsea, they are like, you remember that scene from Austin Powers? Austin Powers, um, a movie from the Austin Powers, in the Powers series, there's a movie, there's a particular uh, movie, one of these series, where he drives this cart inside one uh, factory, I think the nuclear factory. And then he keeps when he's trying to reverse, and then he reverses, and then he stays in one. So whenever he reverses, it's just in one spot. He's not able to. The car is not is not turning. Nothing. It's just in one spot. <laughs> That's what just are like. So every weekend, they move forward, they move back, they move forward. It's just they just maintain the position of ninth, ninth, tenth, ninth. <laughs> That's just where they currently are. But yeah, and next game on my list is um, the Leicester Spurs game. Now the Leicester Spurs game happened at the same time the Arsenal Brentford game was going on. So. I couldn't really watch the Arsenal's game. I had to watch the Spurs game, obviously. And um, I don't know if I made a mistake by doing that because um, <laughs> it was Pedro Poro's um, debut. I look forward to that because um, I wanted to really see him on the right wing and see how he would play. And I, but there was a bit of a worry. Romero not being available. Romero not being available was the worry because you know 
Um, on the right side of the back three, I think, I think, because I was wondering where the game was going on, let's start with having so much joy in behind, in behind Romero, in behind Poro, and I felt, well, Romero would have probably been better, yeah, because Tanganga played at the right side of the back three, and even if we want to talk about Sanchez, I'm not really, I'm not really and it's Tanganga and Sanchez, when you think about both of them, you don't really feel, don't really feel with confidence here, yeah. I don't really want to talk much about the goals, I mean, if you want to see that, okay, I'll talk about some of the goals here and there, but it's more of like, in a way to, it's more of like me trying to use that to actually make some of my points. So, you know, and so that's just it. Now, Spurs scored first, um, Bent and Cole scoring. And I'm sure he didn't really wasn't really aware, you know, it just came off. It was like a ping pong, papa, and then, you know, let's clear the ball of the line even before that. Now, the first goal was solid, right? 1 1 0. Now, the equalizer is if the, the speed at which Leicester equalized and then scored the second was, was very annoying. And it was so one-sided, you know, aside if Ghostbusters scored, it was so one-sided with Leicester. Trust me, Leicester, Leicester could have easily won that game 6-1. That was how dominant they were in that game. I mean, the midfield, the midfield battle, they, they won it so easily. Um, Benton, Cole, and Kuhl, and um, Benton, Cole, and this guy, and um, Hoybier could not really do anything there because Leicester were just setting traps and then they would press and they would win the ball back and it was so one-sided. Obviously, Yenacho was fantastic in that game. I mean, clearly man of the match, in my opinion. I don't know if he eventually won it because I didn't really bother to, to try to find out. Because <laughs> after the third goal, I was like, nah, I'm not watching this. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> but I want to highlight something, right? I'm seeing a lot of fans say, Conte out, Conte out, Conte out, Conte out. Again, I'm, gonna, I'm sounding like a broken record, but I will say it again. Conte out and then what? I'll remind you, 2019 against Colchester, the back three was Tanganga, Dyer, Davis. That was the back three. In, that was in 2019. In 2023, Tanganga, Dyer, Davis as a back three in a freaking Premier League game. Do you really, do you guys not really understand how much of a how much that is how how much of a problem that is? I remember the last and thing, again I've always said this, you know, sports fans tend to you know overrate the team. I don't even know if they forget where they are. And I don't know if it's it's fine to be positive, but it's, it's it's not fine to be deluded. And then if you're deluded, you're trying to be very arrogant about it and trying to make that gospel. You know, fine, contemplate defensive football, fine, and all the talking points you have. Okay, that's fine. That's your own opinion. Okay, okay. But what we're not gonna do here is pretend our defenders are world beaters. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna pretend. We're not going to freaking pretend that they're world beaters. Okay? We all know very well how how you know sports have needed center backs for god knows how long. The last summer window, since 2018, sports have signed I would say even probably across since 2018, right? Sports have signed only three center backs, right? Tang 2018, Sanchez, um Romero and, and uh, Longley, right? Romero is the only good one among amongst the three. Amongst the three of them that have been signed, even and if you look compare that to centre backs team signed, look at the amount of money Man City splurged on centre backs. Every almost every window, they they signed centre backs. I mean, Man City signed Akanji just last last summer. Did they really need to sign a centre back? I mean, they already had Laporte, they already had um, uh, Ruben Diaz. Okay, fine, they need a centre back. Yes, if Akanji is still playing for them, but I'm saying that you know, obviously company retired, Fernando left. But I'm saying that. They already had centre backs available. Walker could play a centre back, but you know they were not taking chances. They still wanted to sign a centre back. Before that, um, they signed Ruben Diaz, right, in 2020. So my point is, Man City have always they properly invested in centre backs. Look around every other team. They've, that is a position of priority. In fact, 
if you're building up your team, that's where you start from. You don't start from the front of the back. You start from the back. You build, 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 and you get there. Except you've built up a setting system where what you need is in the back. Like what Liverpool did where they built a team. They built a team and then it goes to the point where, okay, fine, we've built everything, but we need to send it back. And then we're just supposed to just put Van Dyke in. It was like a final, it's like a square peg in a square hole, just boom, and then the machine starts working perfectly well. Except that, well, other than that, most most teams tend to do that. And then when you you have, and you don't stop till you have a solid backline, right? So think of teams that have won for a long time, that have, extended, that have had extended periods of winning, right? It will look like, oh yeah, I have to remember Manchester signed Ake in 2021. Yes, that's 2020 or 2021. They signed Ake. Nathan Ake. So, you see, Manchester have always invested in centre-backs every year. Almost every year. Look at Man United also. Varane, Lissandro Martinez. You know, so it's, it's, it's something that they've always taken time to really properly splurge on. Right? So, I do not understand why, you know, sports fans are pretending like all is well in that department. Oh yeah, Conte plays fans, but well, you should play attacking football. The problem with that is, Defense is still terrible. So what's the point? You know, if you defensive football, they are bad. Attacking football, they are even worse because now they would even their their um their issues will be even more exposed and more much more more amplified. And that's my issue with when I when I see things like that. It annoys me. It really pisses me off. You know, when I see the same talking point. If you want contact, it's fine. But do not come and ask me. Oh, um, Pochettino improved these players. Why hasn't um Conte improved them? Well. Pochettino did not improve Tanganga, I didn't improve Dyer, I didn't improve Davies. So what makes you think that Conte should be the one to be improving them? If you, if you do not get... Listen, I'm not going to be Conte out because I do not believe that these players deserve to outlast another manager. Let's just, let me just put it that way. They do not deserve to outlast another manager. Let's get that out of the way first. I do not mind. This, this is a similar stance I had on the, in the Mourinho's, during Mourinho's, Mourinho's era. I, I don't believe they deserve to outlast another manager. Listen, it comes to the summer... Make a decision. Okay, fine. But those players need to go before Conte leave. If if you're gonna say okay, we're gonna sack Conte, that's fine. But these players have to leave first before him. Those defenders, especially, three of them have to go before Conte goes. Or the most of them, you know, Tanganga, Dyer, Davies, Sanchez. That's four. I mean, four of them have to go before before I even say okay, fine. Let this manager go. Even Sessegnon. Now Sessegnon is injured. So you know, it's it's when you you see these things and then you look at people complain like do you really expect you know this is what you have and this is what you're gonna get you know what you put in is what you're gonna get anyways i'm not i don't know what i'm gonna say anymore I'm, it's it's one of those things that just tires you and then you, you hear it and you just feel like ah, and you guys just stop this but anyways back to the the game so um sports now a week ago a week ago sports were looking good confidence through the roof you know a lot of fans were happy and excited a week later Besuma is out injured for like five to eight months, five for like three to four months or three to four weeks. I can't remember the situation, but I know it's three to four months. I think an injury. I think he had a surgery or so. Um, Loris five to eight weeks, five to eight weeks injury. Now you have Benton Core who have pulled and who had an ACL, and yesterday was reported that he's going to be out for five to eight months. So basically, season is over. So. Um, general window, a lot of you gave it eight, sevens, eights, and nines. And even though I mean, I give it two over ten. I was being honest. And as you all see, you all see why it's because it's a two over ten. Because again, your window cannot be more than five or six if the centre backs who cause your demise are still there. If the personnel that need to be brought in are not brought in, I'm like eight over ten. Are you people serious? Eight over ten? I mean, fine. Danjuma was brought in. Okay, okay, signing. I get it. It wasn't another attacking option. But what about the centre backs? And now 
um, against Milan in the Champions League, you're going to be having Pepe Matassa and Oliver Skip in the midfield protecting um, Eric Dyer and um, Davies. Oh my goodness. Hopefully Romero plays because if Romero doesn't play, well, confidence, um, I don't know honestly speaking because if Romero doesn't play, that's pro- and, and the thing is this, right? He's the only bright spot in that entire defense and this is exactly why Last weekend, I was in a lot of think pieces. Not this weekend, I just passed the previous one. I was in a lot of think pieces from a lot of sports fans. Oh, yeah, Romero isn't that good. He's in all that. He's overrated. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, is it because he's. And listen, this is the same fan base that made excuse very dire. The goals, two of the goals that sports considered, the one here Nacho scored and the one have a band scored. That was just backing off. It was just backing off. I'm like, can you just step up and you know cl- and tackle this player? Because what he does, he back off, puts his hand behind his back, and then just starts backing off. And then the player curls it around him. I'm like, it's similar to what Sanchez does. I'm like, both of them are just very similar. I'm like, what is the point? And listen, I know people would say back up, back up. Listen, it's, it's going to that point where I'm like, I do not think this guy should be back up. General Windows push are going to center back in at least one. At least one center back in at least one. Not maybe not two, at least one. There was no excuse to not I mean Ndika. Ndika, I didn't even Ndika at least he has signals with his contracts. Just get that, just spend some money and just bring somebody in. Find one of his in cap you want. Can you get somebody in at the moment for just the moment? For the meantime at least. And then you know, they didn't bring anybody in and then you know one or two reasons, blah, 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 and then everybody looks and supposed to look horrible again. Anyway, to be fair, Pamata Sa and Skip. I do not like I'm I am hoping I am hoping fingers crossed that these guys actually step up you know and play well enough because I was looking forward to the fact that Ben Tanker will play with Pomatasar because whenever Pomatasar has played he has never really even though yes his inexperience is young and all that but one thing I've always he has always given was energy interest he wants to prove himself he wants to play so more often than not and if you give heart if you give Effort, you know, if yes, there's some qualities to his game that he has to work on, but you know, you just he just gives what you need, and that's the point. Then skip. I mean, obviously, I hope I hope he plays well. He has had an injury, even though personally, I'm I'm one of those persons who believe that he should be. So I hope I get I'm wrong about this, you know. But it's one of those things where you look and say, okay, fine, we need to get somebody in here. But I hope he plays well enough. And that's the thing. It's just like those are the only two guys. There is two of them, and then there is Hoybier. So sports have only three midfielders available. Now, is there an alternative? Should Spurs play a 3-5-2 where they will play or 3-4-1-2 where Kulusevski will be like a number 10, be like an extra person in midfield and then you just have two strikers up front. It could be either Kenson, Richarlison, um, Kane, Kane, Richarlison, or whatever and then or maybe Danjuma playing as a number 10 behind or Danjuma playing up front. Is that going to be the case? I do not really know but it's just looking like that for me. That's what also should probably consider doing because with the way the personnel are thin and you can't really afford to just throw all the midfielders in at once and then you probably need an extra man in midfield because the way sports are getting out run and Ben Tanko, his run is going to be missed, his effort in the pitch and, and again I want to say about Ben Tanko, right, whenever he has always played, you know, you've never really given the, he's never, he has always come out good, now, even when sports lose a game, he has always come out looking good in the sense that he has played well, Aside playing well, he has given his best every time. Prefer to, prior to the World Cup, I think a week to the World Cup, some days to the World Cup, this guy was still getting into tackles. He was still sliding into tackles. And it's time for us to be afraid of something. The injury that he has, most players do not come back the same again. And that's one thing that scares me. Now, obviously, with sports, sports are a team that should be preparing for that harsh reality. But they are not going to do it. They are going to wait and hope for him 
to return and then when he doesn't play the they're gonna go oh, then the fans are gonna tell us oh yeah he played well this time listen i hope he comes back and same. but history has shown that players who come back from acls do not come back looking the same again i mean van dyke for example is the most recent example van dyke i mean that kind of injury it's not you lose something you lose like maybe some pace and all that but i don't know if it's if his game is really heavy reliance on pace you know maybe it's that but to have that long that length of that lengthy period out of the game you know you lose a lot of things your sharpness your um your pace you know you lose some things because you're out of the game you're not active so you have to take your time to build up that sharpness it's actually a high very high level where you're going to get punished a lot and, and i fear i worry for benzaco and then bisuma it hasn't really been a good signing the way it's looking it's not not like it's a bad obviously you first season hopefully it comes good but it doesn't look like a good signing the way on paper currently because i mean he hasn't played well when he has been put into the team and then the injury now it's it's one of those things where you just look and say wow you know i wish wish it just wasn't this it just wasn't this bad but anyways um I am. I think I, was, I think I've done enough ranting on on the defending part. But with Conte, I just want to say something about Conte. I think the unwillingness to change. I don't know who is worse in substitutions, him or Pochettino. Because you know, substitutions back then was always standard. You were like 75th minute. It was always whether sports are three new, are two nil down or two one down. Where you know that one person of the bench could come in and change the thing. Pochettino would stick to the team he has until like the 80th minute or the 75th minute. It's similar to what Conte does, right? 81st minutes. I mean, it's when he was bringing on Dan Juma. I, I thought after first half, he would just bring on Dan Juma and Richarlison and take off Kulusevski and um, Son and just throw this again. Because Son has not given us a reason to prove that, okay, if he stays on the, te- on the team, if he stays on the field this long, he will get a goal. He hasn't given us any reason to, 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 to believe that so far. And I hate when fans tell us, oh yeah, it was lawyer that, that listen, listen. He wasn't playing for free. Let's get out of the way first. He wasn't playing for free. Don't come here with this whole oh, it was lawyer, it was lawyer, it was lawyer, da, 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 da. Listen, he wasn't playing for free. That's one. Two, if you do not play well, you don't expect to be to be playing inside. And what what kind of image does it give your team? The player needs to know that you have to work your way back into the team. And even when he played well, yes, loyalty, he was heavily rewarded with the contract. So I don't understand this. Um, logic of who he played well for that reason the fans should stick with him that yes the fans are sticking with him but they are criticizing him and they are right to do so because he's not playing well and how many months is this he hasn't played well for months so it's a, these are valid criticism that the fans these are valid concerns that fans have but when people always try to dismiss them it's, it's one of those things that really annoys me and try to say oh be loyal to the player listen it doesn't work that way you know it's it's a it's a result business you know it's results you know and sports are not getting results and that's the problem here and it's it's this thing which fans are getting too sentimental to to players anyways but that's that's by that's my own thought on that but, but for me i i think sports need to fans need to have a proper conversation with themselves and <coughs> excuse me should have conversation with themselves in terms of taking attached to players but and that's only why you see players like Eric Dyer and Dave is always giving where fans always try to give them a chance or give them a chance and always try to look the other way when these guys always constantly make mistakes back to my point i was making about you know the subs right with conte right so conte should have made subs earlier in this game maybe after the first half maybe put danjuma on the right put charleston on the left and just let let it be a change you know let because the energy on the wings just wasn't there i know yes um leicester were finding joy behind and then the defenders were in bad the midfielders also but somebody like richarlison and then 
than Juma, these guys would have made a difference on the wings at least, and you know, put a lot more, you know, pressure on the wings. There was almost nothing coming from Son's side on the left. There was, I mean, Richard Kulusevski was so poor. I mean, you saw that go on for that long, for for an hour in the game, and then you let them stay on, and then you know, they didn't do anything. But anyways, that's all. I, was, I'm, I don't know, man. I don't know, but my confidence in this season has. If if it, and I'm not it depends why I'm not coming about top four and a lot of any fan who's talking about top four well I applaud your optimism but I I've if you listen to my episode obviously in the last few weeks I've always said this that defense is the reason why I don't think we're making top four the defense is the reason obviously Newcastle drew against um, Bournemouth last weekend that's probably the closest team sports can catch right but I'm not gonna come here and blame Conte for anything because if I'm being honest. Newcastle defense is better than ours. In if you are if you are chasing such they are they are they are in are, a bad defense gives get you mid table. If you are having if you are competing for something with somebody else, I mean nobody really competes for mid table that much, right? If you're competing for mid table, if you have a better attack, you know, mid table is enough, can get you can get you mid table, can get you that around in and around that level, right? Because it's kind of easier. Your attack is better than the the the, the other teams around that area. So the competition for that is not but the competition for top four competition for the title, competition for all the places, defense is always going to be the difference between you and other teams. For European places, you know, defense is always going to be the difference. And that's where sports are, at the moment, falling short. The defense. So if you look at Newcastle, it's better than Spurs' defense. I mean, who's go- which of them is going to... No, I don't think they're going to back off. Are you going to expect someone like um, Sven Botsman or even Dan Byrne to back off? An attacker, attacker is charging him and he's backing off and putting his hand behind his back. So, like, come on, man. It's the same mistake over and over again. And, you know, anyways, that's that's all I have to say about that. Literally, Manchester United, United winning 1 2 0. Um, I, I think United fans, I'm sure they're very well aware that they are very over reliant on Marcus Rashford. Um, it leaves, it, it, I have some coin, I've seen them complain about Ten Hag, but I, I do have some. Um, some reservations, some some concerns. Will I say concern? Whatever. Let's say concerns. I do have some some um, concerns. Let's say concerns. I do have some concerns. Um, Ten Hag's tactics sometimes and his substitutions is very very reliant on Rashford. Let's just be real. It's very reliant on Rashford. Yes, the defenders are still good. Let's be real. Martinez. And this comes to my point. You know, even if your attack is, even if you're reliant on one person, your defense is enough to really do most of the job. Even though let's be real, Leeds actually did deserve something from this game, and but it's one of those things where you say, listen, if you play well and you don't score, and the opponent scores, well, they win. I mean, nobody's going to say you played well. Da, da, da. Nobody remembers who played well. Everybody remembers who won. And Leeds didn't score. They didn't take advantage of you know the chances that they created and the game they played. And it's it's all on them for not for not winning. That's it. Anyway, and then um, another game here, the Arsenal versus Brentford game. I think this one. This was one going on simultaneously with the Spurs, um, Spurs versus Leicester game, and um, Arsenal drew this game one-one. Going through this game, I didn't really expect Arsenal to draw this game. I said them to win because um, I felt okay, fine. They lost to Everton last weekend. They were going to. I didn't expect them to. I think expect them to win. Yeah, they were, I told them okay, fine. Everton last. They're going to come back. I'll probably say like a reprisal attack if that's what I. If that's the right way to put it. Like you know. They were going to okay transfer of aggression rather to the next opponent. I was expecting that. I was thinking okay, fine. Brentford are not are going to be a little bit more open than Everton. Where they're not going to play that kind of football Everton did, and it's also a way. It's a home. It's a home fixture for Arsenal. And Arsenal's record at home has always been has been very good this season. So I was thinking, well, 
you know the way it's going i think that they will be very fine you know playing this um i think it'll be very they'll get turned out well against and also brentford away they were quite good so i was thinking oh yeah but i think um we're going to see um the difference between jesus and getia i've seen a lot of us not make these complaints and you know I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense martinelli's form um, since um, KT has been in, has been has entered into the side has gone to the side, it's a bit of a, dif- a difference. I've noticed that too. And listen, I'm, I'm quite happy with the result. I mean, Brentford played really well. I think at some point, if Antony missed goal, missed a goal earlier to put them ahead. I mean, it was goalless for a long time for Arsenal. Trossard had scored, and then if Antony equalized to make it one-one. I'm really happy that Arsenal's um, Arsenal are within touching distance from Man City. I'm happy, and Man City played them in the, in the midweek over two, over two legs. I think this week, midweek, and then the next week or so. So you know, by the time they probably do, you know, they probably be three points ahead of Arsenal. By the time they have done playing the two legs against Arsenal. <laughs> but yeah, so I was quite surprised that Brentford did draw this game, and it was good to see that you know Brentford did. But there's one thing that's quite concerning. For a lot of Arsenal fans, Saliba losing all 10 of his duels. Listen, I know people would say if you watch the game, uh, if Antony didn't get better of Saliba a lot, but listen, if you do not, if you lose 10 area duels as a centre back, that is very poor. I, I don't care, <laughs> I do not care how well you played. If you lose 10, it is bad. It's really when you're over six feet. Someone like Saliba, I think it's like six one or six two. In and around the heights. If you're around the heights and you're losing 10, 10 duels, that, that's not a good record. That's not a good good return for any centre back. It's not. It's, it's something that should be worrying for anybody. But yeah, but I am. Um, I am. It's gonna be so much fun watching Arsenal crumble. It's gonna be so much fun. I swear. I mean, if you look at the way a lot of their fans have been, you know, been talking and been raising their voices and talking and talking and talking. Well, <laughs> it's um. It's gonna be so pleasing to see all of them, cry. and then they would. T- I know they will say, "Well, like, at least we finished Champions League." Well, I know, but you know, they, they might say that. But if I'm being honest with you, the way a lot of them were bragging, you know, and the way a lot of them talked about it, let's be real. I'm not gonna let. We're not gonna let them off the hook if they crumble. So, you know, they're trying to play. They're trying to play play on the fence a bit. We're not gonna let them down on the fence. They've stood on one side of the fence for a long time. I'm not gonna let them climb up that fence again. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think it was a good result for Brentford. I think Brentford needed, also needed the points for their ambitions this season. And they played well. I think they're the first team that have not lost at the Emirates this season. They're the first. That's quite a good... That's very good. And um, it's going to set this... The fixture between Arsenal and Man City. And uh, that record that Brentford... I think they're the first. I think they are the first, if I remember correctly. They haven't... Wow, that's very good. They've won all their games at the Emirates this season. They've won all. They've actually won all. So that's the first one that Brentford have. Brentford the first team that, that have not lost there. Well, I think they've wetted the ground properly for Man City to come and, you know, to come and dance. <laughs> they've wetted the ground properly for Man City. <laughs> so, um, speaking of Man City, Man City played against Aston Villa, um, winning the game 3-1. What I want to talk about is Guardiola. Guardiola and his tactics. Guardiola and his um, experiments. I don't know if Guardiola is like... This mad scientist in the lab who tries different things, you know, tries to be unorthodox on purpose. But I think Guardiola being unorthodox is not because he wants to. I, I don't know if he's trying to. I think he's trying to just find something different to just, you know, and he's trying so hard. You know, if you, even if it means playing. I mean, this guy played without fullbacks last weekend. I didn't see a fullback. I was like, when I saw their lineup against Spurs the previous weekend, the previous weekend, the lineup against Spurs. 
I saw Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, and was it Ruben Diaz or Laporte? One of the two of them. And then Nathan Ake. No, it wasn't Ruben Diaz. I think it was Laporte and Ake. I think it was the back three. And then they played uh, Lewis. Was it Lewis? You could Lewis. And then they played um, Rodri. I just didn't understand the formation they were playing. But I just knew what he was trying to do. But I knew that there were no fullbacks. There were no recognized fullbacks on that team. Yes, they lost 1 0. But they had, I think they, then on Sunday, yes, on Saturday, on Saturday, sorry. Was it on Sunday or Saturday? I can't remember. I think it was on Sunday, sorry. How much did I miss the dates? It was on Sunday they played against the like, Yes, on Sunday. <laughs> so on Sunday, I saw the lineup, no fullbacks. I was like, wait a minute. I mean, I mean, we lost it last week. I mean, he's insisting on this system. But I think the, all the concerns about that system was ended immediately when you know they scored like the first on that. I think it was like the first four minutes or so. I can't remember who scored. Was it Ruben? Was it Roger? I think it was Roger who scored the first goal, and then Gundogan scored the second, and then the third was a penalty. Mares. I mean, Oli Watkins pulled one back though, but it was really three-one better points, and they've won the game already. But the tactic, the tactical change mid-season from Guardiola is is really interesting. Yeah, I and mean, this guy went off injured, Haaland. So he's gonna be having um Alvarez playing up front. But I don't think that's much of a concern the way Mansty play. But wow, I mean, no full <laughs> listen, I know the your kind of fullback, but Kawaka was more of like a centre back in the build up and the way they were defending. So I know it was like a three it was like a three um uh, three two three two kind of system. So it was you know, two midfielders and then talking and all that. But I mean I, I don't know, man. Guardiola has a way of you know doing things his way differently, and then it ends up working. And this could just be the team that will just set up their winning streak. And Man City having this, hitting this at the right time for me was important. And then looking at Arsenal, st- 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 um, stumble a bit. And let me give you some stats, right? So Arsenal has only beaten Man City once. That was the FA Cup semi-final um, in 2020. That's the only time he's beaten Arsenal. Arsenal has beaten Man City since then. It's been a very one-sided affair. I mean, even the most recent FA Cup meeting, Man City have beaten them. I know people will say, oh, it's just fun goes out the window. Yeah, it's superstition. I don't really know if I would agree with that completely because, if I'm being honest with you, um, these um, records tend to play into the psychology of the players a lot. And, you know, the fans also remember that and they try to do it. For example, look at Spurs' stadium. Man City haven't scored there since Spurs opened that stadium in 2019. There is no way on this side that makes any sense, but it happens. The Merseyside derby, for example, I mean, since 1999, Everton hadn't won until 2020. Since 1999, 1920, Everton, 2021, sorry, Everton hadn't won at um, at the stadium. They haven't, they hadn't even beaten Liverpool, right? It was so one-sided. Liverpool would even beat Everton, and then. They hadn't been beating Liverpool at all, if I remember correctly. They haven't been at Anfield, and for a long time they hadn't beaten Liverpool. But they did that year. They won at at Anfield. They won. I think they won one nil. So it's a fixture. These kind of records do play do play into people's heads. And um, or maybe on, and even the day when they beat, I think it was the lockdown. There were no fans in the stadium. So if there were fans in the stadium, could there have been a different story? So I know people should not really ignore these stats when, when they are being ruled out. But it's going to be interesting to see that how that official will turn out. I'm going to be watching that for sure. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be watching that for sure. I mean, look at the way... 
I'm just going to be looking forward to how Guardiola will set up his team and how they will play in this. This new. I want to see how this system fares out against a better opposition because Aston Villa, yeah, Aston Villa, no, no disrespect to them, Arsenal are better than them, and you know, I want to see how it will look like in a be- against a better opposition. But I think Manchester will come out well in that fixture because you know hitting form at the right time. And yes, I know Haaland, you know, has been struggling with Manchester all season. You know, since even though he has scored, you know, overall Manchester's form may have looked bad. But even losing Haaland is not really going to make much of a difference because Alvarez is equally competent in front of goal. Maybe not as good as Haaland. Maybe his movement is not as good as Haaland. His finishing is not as good as Haaland. But you know, the, is, the, the competency levels is not really going to drop that much. So, Manchester, I think Manchester, they've, they've, they've. One of all this is Guardiola having one of these is um, mid-season turnaround kind of thing, right? Guardiola has done that. I think for the first half of the season, Manchester played this system where they will play with the back four. 4 3 1 or 4 3 3, then it will be like um, one of the center backs, one of the f- four, the, the right side, the side of the right side, the right back talks inside, forms a back three, and the left back becomes like an extra winger. That was Cancelo. Cancelo was like the extra winger, like when Maicon was playing for, for Inter Milan back in 2009, 10 ish, that period when they won the Champions League. Inter Milan, even when they won the treble and they won Champions League, Inter Milan, that period, Mourinho's Inter. Similar to that's what he was doing. And now, Walked, walked, walked for some time, stopped working, and now Guardiola mid-season done a tweak, and now it started working again. Bernardo Silva is like the one who's playing on that left side. I think Bernardo Silva was taking multiple positions, different positions at different occasions. So I do not know, but trust me, I'm going to be interested. I'm going to be extra interested to see how that system will work out against Arsenal, should with the way Arsenal play. But um, yeah, that's my take on that game. And so later today is going to be Monday um, Night Football, Everton versus Liverpool. As you all know, I have a soft spot for Everton. I don't want them to go down. As you all know, um, it's going to be a Liverpool at home. The first the first fixture was a goalless draw. Um, Lampard, Lampard, Lampard was the manager, and then Everton have some injury concerns. Um, um, Cavalier is currently injured, out is out, is injured, which was very surprising, and I think it's a blow because the system they play, his aerial ability is very very important with the way they he could win anything in air in the air. He was just winning anything. In the air. I think it's very important to the way they. They, they play and um, it's going to be a big miss however um, Liverpool obviously they are missing um, Thiago Alcantara Alcantara and, and listen um, Alcantara's injury is sort of um, I think it's a blow but if you look at the way they've, Liverpool have utilised him I mean his passing is still great don't get it twisted but the way Liverpool has utilised him and they've not really allowed him you know be himself you know in the sense that the way he's the role he's having to play for Liverpool Doing a lot of run around, a lot of dirty work. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's doing more than he should be doing. And you know, maybe that's what's affecting his injury. But I think it's a big miss for Liverpool. So I don't really Liverpool probably gonna line up a lot of their youngsters. Obviously, Avila is gonna play. Um that youngster mid something which something I see. I can't remember that maybe the DM also we got a new contract recently. That one's probably gonna play. So it's gonna be tra- are they gonna play Navigator, gonna play Milner, gonna play Henderson. I do not know, but it's gonna be I know it's gonna be interesting. I'm looking forward to that major side there before sure. Yeah, so that's my um take on that game. I'm not gonna give a prediction, I'm really bad at predictions this is so far. Um I can only give my thoughts on what I think will happen, but I think everything are well placed to get a result in that game. I think they are. Um, if they play the same system they did against Arsenal, I mean, it's, it suits that kind of fixture away from home at, at, um, at Anfield, the, in front of the cup, where it's going to be really loud, it's going to be one-sided, you're going to be hearing a lot of booze. So, already, Liverpool, Liverpool expected to dominate the possession in this fixture already, right? So, 
Everton, all they have to do is continue what they did with Sean Dyche's system, where he, according to him in the coach's view, when he analyzes tactics, that V they have to maintain in front of the goalkeeper. And then if you look at Liverpool's wingers, they do not really have... Um, they are missing out on that Mane's um, kind of... You know, they were just to move the ball really quickly, and then they're missing out on Mane. Cody Gakpo... Um, Ruben, sorry, this guy, Nunez. I mean, and Salah has sort of dropped this season. And probably age, obviously, I think it has a lot more to do with age than anything. I don't think it's anything to do with him being bad. I think it's just age. And, you know, obviously, I mean, you're not a machine. Eventually, age will catch up with you. So, I don't really look at... I don't really know if Liverpool can really break them down. I mean, you would expect maybe Thiago Akantara being available would have been able to do it. But I don't really expect... I don't really look at Liverpool and think, okay, yeah, they're going to break them down. Yeah, Trent's crossing could be important. But... What about him behind, you know, and the fact that I said Liverpool probably position trend in a different position to put to deliver cross into the box, right? Nunez and Gakpo are tall enough to really do it, but Tarkowski is equally confident in the air, and then you got Pickford who's quite good in his own right as a goalkeeper. So, you know, then you have Dakore and Unana who probably will not even let, you know, them settle to, to try, probably press them and try and win the ball off them. So, probably let them cross. They probably won't let Trent cross the ball. So, I, I'm really looking forward to how that, that game will turn out. But I'm really, I'm really, really excited about it. This is one of the main side derbies. I have a solution for Everton. I think Everton are going to do something in this game. I don't know if they will win. I don't want to say anything about winning. But I think Everton will be good enough. If they do what they have to do, and they do what they're doing very well. I think they will have enough to win this game. Yeah, so that's my thoughts on that. And then before I leave, um, talk about the incompetence of referees again. I don't think this one deserves a whole segment because I really talked about it at length in one of my previous episodes last season. Um, they need a proper, they need proper invest, they need a pro- proper investment into refereeing in Premier League because it gets worse by the day. I mean, you have to look at the VAR decision, the Arsenal's game. Where they said they forgot to draw a line somewhere, I think somewhere along the line in, in I think it's in Brentford's goal, if I remember. But I know the referee came out and said he forgot. I'm like, nah, that's not a good enough excuse, especially at this level. So good enough. And then the Wolves game, uh, Lamina guessing a second yellow card. I mean, I was watching the, there was a tweet, clip on Twitter right, with Neves explaining, you know. And then the interviewer asked him, what did the referee tell you? So you don't know what he told me, and he smiled. He said. Um, he said that you know Moutinho was the first and then him was second and so when he saw that, that Lamina was the third person getting to him he just gave Lamina a yellow card and got him, sent him off and you know you are knowing about that kind of decision you can't be overturned because it's second yellow right so Lamina misses a game because of referees referee jo- and the explanation was very weird he was, he was the third person that was why he gave him the yellow card I was like what is this <laughs> anyways the fact that Wolves didn't say won that game was even surprising because they, a man down Still went back and won that game. I mean, Nathan Jones obviously got sacked Saturday. I'm surprised how he even got the job at Saturday. I won't, I won't lie. But anyways, that's a whole different um, debate conversation for another time. Um, yeah, but but the referee decision, I think they have to be a lot of interest. And again, I said this before. How many persons grow up want to become referees? You know, I, I think they need a proper reform in that PG mall. PG mall. They need a proper reform because, you know, Maybe like what we were suggesting, ex players becoming referees, ex players getting to the die referee side. I think it would be a very, it's a very great idea. I mean, they are, it's not like they need to play; they just need to run around, and they, they are fit. A lot of them are fit enough, and a lot of them can still maintain fitness. And then again, if you look at this one, the referees are still fat, so it's not like you really expect. <laughs> expect, uh, but I think some players can be good at ref- as referees. Some ex players can just like what we have suggested. You know, that's probably a very good thing to do to consider. You know, and then every player, a lot of 
persons growing up into the game need to try they need to try and incentivize refereeing how many times is it incentivized i mean the abuse you suffer i mean the premier league if you look at what the abuse premier league referees suffer imagine the abuse referees at grassroots level suffer right the ones who are close to the fans who are probably protected by maybe a um like a a barbed wire that kind of fence right and the fans you can hear them screaming and i mean have you tried refereeing a game yeah, you know, you have um, the parents of the child, the, like like a, like a, a young, like maybe an under six, under ten game, under fifteen, that kind of game. Then your parents are breathing down your neck, screaming and calling you names and abusing you. You know, those kind of referees. Have you been in that kind of situation before? I mean, those are that world grassroots persons, and then look at having to deal with professional. So it's it's a whole different ball game entirely down there. And people have to walk their way up now. Nah, a lot of people just say, nah, I don't think I'm, I'm built for this. And then I don't know if referees have social media, but the abuse of what we get in is only worse than what players we get. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I, I think it's going to be a very long time before we we'll see a proper change in um, refereeing, in the refereeing department in the game. But I really think it's going to take a long time. As long as it's not incentivized. How long, I don't know, but I think it's going to be a long time. Because, um, I mean, it's just one of those things we have to take. And again, I do not think human error will be erased from the game completely. Even if you bring in X players, I don't think it's you. All these things are human error. The problem is that they happen too often, but they are human errors, and that's a problem. You know, if it happens too often, it should be, it should be, it should happen once in a while. Now there's technology to help. Like the excuse the referee was giving about not seeing it, and even if you talk about the excuse, there was no camera. The only one between Liverpool and and Arsenal, the Emirates, oh, there was the camera. There was no camera to catch to capture that. Like you know, this kind of excuses technology available to do these things and then look at the you know, red card lemina suffered also you know, some of these human errors are too often they're happening too often and that's for me it's where i believe there's a problem so you know even if they try and put a lot of machines and machines human errors will not disappear and that's where you know a lot of work needs to be to be done but anyways that's why we players probably need to come in we can use their discretion and all that because most decisions most decisions are dependent on referees discretion but yeah, that's my take. Anyways, that's it for this episode. Um, thanks for listening. By the time I return and later in the week, um, we would have gone to the San Siro and, and beaten Inter- AC Milan. Hopefully, fingers crossed. By the time I return the later, Masti would have given Arsenal a 3 new win. Fingers crossed. <laughs> By the time I return. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. A little bit of a cough. Um, I don't know if it's the Arsenal fans angry at me and trying to make me... <laughs> Yeah, by the time I return, let me see that and um have a very exciting episode by the time it happens. But um what about say what about you? What about you want to say? The midweek fixtures are gonna be interesting and you're there to look forward to. Um have a nice week and um bye till I see you.